Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Hi, welcome to episode 24. We are going to do something different this episode, but I'm not going to say that, although I just did, because we do something different every week, and then I say, wow, we're going to do something different. But it is our (laughs) podcast. We can do whatever we want. We can. There are no laws restricting what we do in our podcast. So our format is we're doing whatever we want, and this week we're going to do something different. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it'll really be different if you don't say we're doing something different. Right. Here, hey, we're doing the same old thing on this episode. (laughs) So what are we going to do this time, honey? Well, we were sitting around telling stories about show business, uh, you know, some of the war stories with a couple actor-musician friends. And we all have them. Everybody who's been doing this for a few years has stories about the business. Yes. And we had so much fun telling them that we decided to do an episode of So Says Rick telling some of these stories. Because I realized, you know, a lot of my friends back in the Midwest, guess what? They don't have shows biz stories and they might find it interesting and fun to get the inside scoop, you know. Exactly, exactly, from big celebrities like us. (laughs) Wow, there's a stretch. There's something. We're D-list celebrities. (laughs) Not A-list, B-list, C-list. D-list. Plus, we've been doing this for a really long time, longer than I would like to. Many years, many years. (laughs) So, since this is episode 24, I'm going to start with a story about working on the show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. Nice segue. Thank you. Honey. Okay, wait. Now we're going into the official part of the podcast. That was the intro. Now we're in the storytelling part. Yeah, great. Dun, da, da, da. <laughs> there, you did that the first episode. So I that's did. a callback to the first uh-huh, episode. So it's not different. No. Can I tell the story now? Tell the story. Okay, so I was doing a show in Chicago, a play. You know, once you get the show up, you don't have anything to do all day. And so I started watching the show 24. And that's the first show I ever binge watched. And I got so hooked on that show. I loved it. And I thought, I want to be in that show. Well, I got back to L.A. My first audition I went to was for 24. I booked it. It was going to shoot in two weeks. I was so excited because I had a scene with Kiefer Sutherland. I was a cop. Oh, it was going to be good. But in that two-week period when I was waiting to do it, I ran into Kiefer at our Yum Yum Donuts down the street. Yeah, where we used to take the kids all the time. Right. And I had one of these conversations where I'm looking at the donuts. Okay, Ruthie wants one with chocolate icing, Eva wants one. But, and I look up, I'm like, hey, Kiefer. And he says, amen. I'm like, wow, we had a moment. So when I get to... <laughs> That's a moment. <laughs> yeah, we're really connected. So when I get to the set, which is a remote location out in the middle of nowhere, I get into the makeup trailer about 7 a.m., and it's just Kiefer and I, and I don't have anything to say to Kiefer. You know, we don't bond that often, but we do have this one moment. So I say, oh, I saw you at um, my Yum Yum Donuts a couple weeks ago. And he looked at me, and he said, you own a Yum Yum Donuts? And I'm like, no, 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 the one down our street. I, I, It's just the one we go to. I say ours because it's close. He said, I don't think I've ever been in a Yum Yum Donuts. So that was our bonding. <laughs> you felt super close oh, after that. Oh, man, we keep in touch now. 
Then I go to my trailer, and as you do, I had hours before I had to shoot. So I'm in my cop uniform, laying in my trailer, sleeping, and I get a call, uh, a knock on the door from the second AD, and he says, hey, do you, you want to go up to the set now? We, we've got a van going up now. It's not your scene, but if you don't mind, and I'm a nice guy, I'm like, sure, I'll go up early. I don't mind. And I go up there, and I don't know what scene it is or anything, but I say to the AD, I'm like, where should I stand? He said, oh, just over there, off to the side. So I'm near the crowd of, of people there, but I'm off to the side reading my script, making sure I have my lines, dressed in my cop uniform, and I hear them say, action! And I hear the car start up this mountain road, and it comes tearing down the road. <laughs> And it comes screeching to a stop, and there's a row of cops with guns drawn out. And they're like, get out of the car, get out of the car. And the car screeches to a stop 10 feet in front of me, right? I'm in the shot, except the camera's mounted on the hood. So I figure, okay, I'm not in the shot. Then Kiefer opens his door, and there's a cameraman in the passenger seat shooting directly at me. So in the shot is a whole line of cops with guns going, get out of the car! And one standing with a script by the side of the road. And I do one of those, you know, quick walks, like, oh, I'm not really in the shot. And I walk out of the scene and Kiefer's onto the ground. And when they say cut, Kiefer gives up and he said, get that extra off the set. Okay, that was me. And I didn't figure now was the time to mention that I'm a guest star, not an extra. <laughs> and the director saved me because he said, oh, we had a little problem with the camera. We have to reshoot that. No, no, we had no other problems, just that. Kiefer got in the car and went back up the hill. And the director said, all right, this time I want. And he looked at me and I gave him the, no, I got it. I got it sign. And he goes, okay, I think we got it this time. And, of course, that second AD that told you to stand there, he's not going to pipe up and say, uh, I told him to be there. It's my fault. Yeah, I'm a guest star working for one day. This is an AD who's, what, went for seven seasons or something? Right. Uh, so I don't blame him, but that's my Kiefer Sutherland story. And, man, he and I, when we get together and talk, we laugh about that. <laughs> <laughs> but when you did the scene, when you actually did your scene, it went really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And I don't get together with Kiefer. I never did. But anyway, that's my 24 story. Okay, Lori, your turn. I'm going to tell a story about working on a video series for young kids. And this is back when our kids were little, too. It was called The Wheels on the Bus, and it had animation, live action, and puppets, which was really cool because I'd never worked in that kind of experience before. So we used the Wheels on the Bus song, but I also got to write original songs, and I wrote the score. It was a big project for me, even though it was a low-budget thing. But somehow, they managed to get as the star Roger Daltrey from The Who. The Roger Daltrey. The Roger Daltrey from The Who. And he was doing the voice of a seven-foot dragon puppet that was built by the people who built Big Bird. So it was a beautiful puppet, and he was doing the voiceover. This was during the period where he had decided the Who were never going to play together again, and he was going to have a second career as an actor. So that was how we got him for such a low-budget project. So it comes time to record Roger and his songs, and they decide to record it in my little home studio, this home studio, which is about the size of a large walk-in closet. <laughs> it's a little bigger than that, but not much. Not much. 
And I said to the, you know, the guys that were producing the videos, like, oh, don't, you know, don't have them come to my studio. It's it's too low rent. You know, it's Roger Daltrey. They're like, no, no, it'll be fine. And I said, okay, well, if we have to, please don't do it on a hot day <laughs> because I don't have the fancy air conditioner that you can leave running when you're doing a take. I have to turn it off. And so it gets really hot in here. No problem. They schedule it for three in the afternoon in July. Perfect. So it's not only Roger and three producers and me. I've also brought in an engineering assistant because I'm so nervous about messing up the recording. He was happy to work for free because he was so excited to meet Roger. Oh, yeah. And all our friends and neighbors are like, I'll bring over some uh, services. Anyone to make tea? I'll do that. (laughs) Right. So here it is. Six of us. In my tiny little studio on a hot day, we're all sweltering. But Roger was such a good sport, and he he did a great job, and he didn't complain. He's such a pro and a gracious guy. But the funny thing was, Roger had just bought a house in the valley, and he was remodeling it. And we had just remodeled our kitchen. So we were on a break, and I walk into the house, into the kitchen, and there's Rick and Roger talking about drawer pulls and flooring materials. And you always kind of wonder, what will you say to a really famous person when you meet them? Here's what I said to Roger Daltrey. Roger, you should get flooring like this. It's cork flooring, and it's great because you can drop a jar of mayonnaise on it, and it won't break. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the first one. We did three altogether. The second one, Roger was in Belfast shooting a movie, and they decided, the producers decided for some reason again, to send me over to Belfast with my hard drive, you know, with all the music on it, to record Roger on his day off from the movie. Which sounds really exotic, like, oh, I got to travel to Europe. And st-. No, you were going for a day and coming <laughs> right, back. Right. It was all about being on a plane. Right. And I was like, you know what? Roger might want to have his day off be a day off. He had a long shoot. I think it was like 25 days or something. And he'd been working really hard, and, you know, he's not a spring chicken either. I mean, he's in good shape, but still. So um, I said, I don't know that that's a great idea. Oh, no, it'll be fine. I'm like, I could just send the hard drive. No, 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 we want you to go. Okay, so they fly me all the way to Belfast. I get to the studio early, and there's the engineer, and he's a lovely young man who looks like he's about 12. But he knew what he was doing. He was very sweet and knew what he was doing. So we get all set up. In comes Roger. He looks wiped. The first thing he says is, you know, I don't know if I can do this today. Yesterday we were shooting all day and it was an action scene where I was having to rescue someone from a burning building. And so, you know, you have to breathe in all that fake smoke and be running and, you know, doing that on and off all throughout the day. So he said, I feel pretty trashed. I don't know if I can do it. Then the producers arrive. So he's going to give it a try. Well, he just doesn't have the voice for it. It's not going to happen. And he says that to them. And they go, oh, no, 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 no. All you need is some tea. And he says, no, really, I I just don't have it in me. And, and, oh, no, no, we'll go get you some tea. And he says, look, it's like you're asking a football player, which for him means a soccer player, but a football player to play with a broken leg. Oh, no, no, you're fine. So they leave to get some tea. And now Roger's like kind of pacing the studio and he's upset because he's like, I just can't do this. Tea is not going to do it. And he says to me and the engineer, I'm going back to the hotel. I can't do this. So he leaves. 
here come the producers with the tea. And they're like, where's Roger? And me and the 12-year-old, they're like, uh, he left. <laughs> and and they're like, what? You let him leave? Why didn't you stop him? I'm like, we're the lowly songwriter and engineer. We can't stop Roger Daltrey. And then one of the guys says, well, you know, this is Belfast. And to get to his hotel, he has to walk through some pretty dicey neighborhoods for, for a British guy to be walking through. A and famous A famous, British recognizable guy. British guy. So they freak out. They get in the cars and all go driving around trying to find him. <laughs> so I never got to record with Roger. I ended up leaving my hard drive which is what I'd suggested in the first place. And then after the movie was over, he rested for a few days and then went to a studio near his house and got it done. And when he shipped the hard drive back, he also sent a huge bouquet of flowers with an apology note, which was so sweet because it really wasn't his fault. Right. He's a class act. He is a class act. Then the third time... Oh, there's a, there's a trifecta <laughs> Yes. We finally got to record at Capitol Studios, which is like one of the iconic studios. It's part of the Hollywood skyline. Oh, it's a landmark building, Yes. Too. Everybody has, you know, the Beatles, Frank Sinatra, Judy Garland, everybody's recorded there. I was so excited. We were going to go in the small studio and have them record there, which is what we should have done in the first place. Okay. Don't get judgy. <laughs> So um, I'm so excited. and But here's the one thing. I get there and everyone says, oh, darn it. If you'd just been here a minute ago, James Taylor just left. And I'm like, oh, I could have met James Taylor. You're working with Roger Daltrey <laughs> and you're like, I could have met James Taylor. I know. An another hero. But that one went great. And as a side note to that, our daughter, Ruthie, was probably eight or so, and she was an extra in the background. Oh, both of them were in it. Oh, both that's right. Both girls were in it. But Ruthie got an invitation to go to some red carpet event where some teen idol was doing something, and they wanted a bunch of kids at it. So she got to go to it, and she had to walk on the red carpet. And, of course, there's all these photographers around, and they're ready to, you know, shoot pictures of whoever's famous. And so they ask each person that walked by so who are you and what have you done and without hesitation ruthie said i was in the wheels on the bus with roger daltrey <laughs> they started taking pictures and i was back in the background and i'm like i looked at her and she gave me the look like use what you got daddy <laughs> <laughs> let's tell a story where we were both involved the time joe walsh sat in with you in las vegas when you were with drew carey and those guys Yes, Drew was friends with Joe and asked him to come sit in for an okay, improv Drew show. Okay, Drew is friends with everybody. Drew, yeah, Drew does know everybody. So it was Linda Taylor, Joe Walsh, and me. It was so exciting to get to play with him. And for, like, our segue music, we got to do a lot of Joe Walsh and Eagles tunes. And I was actually in the uh, house when they were doing the sound check, which can be kind of boring, you know, all those actors trying out their mics and stuff. So I started to leave, and then I heard the beginning of uh, Life's Been Good to Me, the guitar lick in the beginning. And I looked down, and Joe Walsh is leaning towards Laura, teaching her the chord changes of <laughs> Life's Been Good to Me. And I'm like... That's so cool. And then when they left the sound check, Laura goes, okay, guys, I'll see you in a couple hours. And she's like so nonchalant about it. And she turned her back and started walking out. And I go, Laura, that was really cool. And she said, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so we do the gig with Joe and we had driven to Vegas, but Joe had flown. So he said, 
Hey, when you guys take my guitar back to L.A. because you're driving and I'm flying and it's not good to fly with a guitar. And this guitar was like... It was some special thing that he'd like ordered from Spain and it was it was really expensive and fancy and, and like old. a one of a kind. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, oh, sure, we'd be honored to take your guitar back. What we didn't realize was that we felt like we were transporting bars of gold or oh, yeah, something. Oh, yeah, yeah, And I was like, Laura, you ride in the trunk. Joe Walsh's guitar can be up front with an airbag in case we're in an accident. <laughs> and we stopped to eat, and we're, like, so nervous that t do we leave it in the car? Do we bring it in with us? We thought about not stopping. We're like, we're really hungry, but we can't leave Joe Walsh's. Oh, it was great. So finally we get home with it, and a couple days later, his manager comes to pick it up, and we were so relieved, you know, that nothing has happened while it was in our charge. We realized we never even looked at the thing. Right. It we didn't been take a picture of it. It we could have been an empty case for all we know. Exactly. And this, oh, I can't believe we didn't, like, get it out. Not that we had to play with it, but take some pictures but, with Joe Walsh's guitar. I know. We were just, like, so afraid of it or something, so yeah. nervous about it. We're like, we can't even open it. It's moments like that to keep us humble. And, you know, we're telling show business stories, but we get wrapped up in it, too, the, the kind of excitement of meeting somebody like that. Well, I worked with Holly Hunter, and in the middle of a take, it got quiet, and I realized it was my line, and I'd missed my line. And the reason I'd missed my line is because I'm standing there thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm working with Holly Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because we're performers doesn't mean we can't be fans, too. That's right. Oh, man, we could go on and on, huh, Laura? We could. We've got a million stories. Actually, let us know. If you want to hear more stories, we'll do another episode where we tell our inside Hollywood showbiz stories. But until then, for now, we'll say goodbye and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>